Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast with your hosts Jason, Jacob, and Jeff. And on today's episode, we talked to Seth Leach from the Ohio elk hunting community. And if you're not aware, if you're not familiar with these guys, they are a group that is working to bring elk back to Ohio. So we talk about some of the current struggles, some of the roadblocks, things that we can do to get around these roadblocks, what the research is showing as far as how many elk the state can support, and lots of other interesting stuff about elk and what's required to bring them back and what that might look like someday when and if we're able to bring elk back to Ohio. There's a lot of surrounding states that have elk, and so we talk about all of that. Before we get into the episode, I want to talk about our sponsor for the uh, the podcast, and our sponsor is Monster Whitetail Grub. You've heard us talk a lot about them. They're a great company. They're an Ohio company. They source all of their product from Ohio, or whatever they can get at least from Ohio, which is most of it, I think. They've got a high-protein feed with mineral mixed in, which is really nice because once the feed is gone, the physical feed, the mineral has worked into the soil and the deer continue to come back. They've got just straight mineral that you can get, and they've got flavored corn. You can get add-in options like peanuts, extra protein, sunflower seed, sugar beets, all the fun stuff that uh, deer like to munch on, and you got tons of flavor options to pick from as well. So the, the flavoring really turns this into like a long-range attractant. So you can get peanut flavor, cherry, persimmon, red apple, blackberry, white oak, acorn. And I know from personal experience, when you open a, bo- uh, a bottle, it's not a bottle, it's a bucket. When you open a bucket of this stuff up, you can smell the flavoring. So that, I mean, if I can smell it, you know a deer can smell it from a long way away, which is why it works so well, or one of the reasons that it works so well. So I want to thank them for sponsoring the show, and if you're interested in trying out some of their feed as as the uh, the does are going to start dropping fawns and, and lactating, and they, you know, they need that uh, nutrition to get the fawns off to a good start, as well as bucks are starting to grow antlers, so that good nutrition helps them grow a nice set of antlers this year. If you're interested, there'll be links to Monster Whitetail Grub's Facebook page in the show notes. That's the best way to get a hold of them and uh, find out where and how you can get some of their product. And with that, let's get into the episode with Seth. All right, we've got Seth Leach on the line, and Seth is part of the Ohio elk hunting community, and so we're going to talk elk today, elk in Ohio specifically. So, Seth, if you would, kind of give us a little bio on on you sort of how you got into hunting and how you how it was that you ended up getting involved in this community that is sort of working to reestablish elk in Ohio. Well, I've been hunting for I don't even know how many years now. I started when I was just a a kid. My dad took me out squirrel hunting with him and you know, I'd take my BB gun along with me just being a big boy you know and (laughs) and uh slowly got into it and um my dad worked me up and eventually started deer hunting then i uh i joined the army when i right out of high school and that's really when my big game adventures started going up hunting moose caribou black bear and uh elk has always been on one of those lists but i mean certainly isn't certainly isn't a cheap thing to do so started looking into uh kentucky elk hunting and 
was moseying around Facebook pages and because I planned on hunting, putting in for the draw this year, which I did and uh, found an Ohio elk hunting community page. And I was like, okay, well, this is kind of odd. There's no elk in Ohio. So I liked the page at the time. This was in January, actually, of this year, 2019. And it was like 120 people on there. And since then, I've just watched it grow. Started posting some cool stuff that I found on elk. And Troy Tripp, the founder of the uh, Facebook page, said, hey, would you be interested in being an admin? Well, sure, I guess so. <laughs> and that, since then, it's just gone full force. So um, I'm I'm totally fired up about trying to get something on the ground for elk in Ohio. I think it'd be a really awesome thing. Every other state in Appalachia, Ohio, or Appalachia, eastern U.S., they've got elk. Right. Yeah. I don't see any reason why we can't either. So that's, I mean, you talk about, you said January was kind of when you discovered the community, right? right. And Correct. that's one of the things I've just been amazed by is how quickly this community has grown. I, last oh, time yeah. I checked, you guys were over 4,000 members in this community, right? Right. We're at currently, uh, I just checked a little bit ago, we're at 4,837 members. So pushing 5,000 members. Yes, in, sir. In like no time at all. So that's. Oh, I know. And it's a, it's a huge thanks to our members too, posting them, posting our page to other Facebook pages and uh, spreading the word just to their friends. We were able to print out flyers and stuff too and post those and people just come in full force. And there's a ton of people fired up about it too. And that's really what we need is you know, people that really have the true desire to host elk in their backyard. Sure. So I guess to get into bringing back elk, bringing back elk in Ohio, I say bringing back because elk were here before, right? So do you you know, or can you talk a little bit about sort of that history on when elk were here and, and. Oh, for sure. Okay. Um, back even in the 1800s, early 1800s, there were elk in Ohio. We went through that period where there were no, um, hunting licenses, hunting regulations. It was just, you go in your backyard and you were able to kill pretty much whatever you wanted to. Right. Yeah. And that took a huge toll on all of our big game. I mean, you saw it take a toll on the turkeys and the deer, especially in Ohio. Um, which that's a true testament to Ohio hunters too, is we've seen a huge restoration in those, in those species. Um, the last known elk killed in Ohio was in 1860 and Ashtabula County. Okay. And since then, the only elk that have been killed in the state of Ohio have been ones that got out of somebody's pen. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that's, and that's, and it's, I think it's kind of sad too. I mean, because they, there used to be a huge elk herd and they called them the Eastern elk. Um, the natives called them Wapiti. Okay. Uh, so that's where you hear the term Wapiti elk. Um, but just so fitting enough that they actually were called Eastern elk. And that's part of the reason why the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation calls it the Eastern elk initiative. It's not just that they're elk in the East. That's that their actual name is Eastern elk. Okay. And so we don't, you know, 
Jacob, Jeff, and I, we don't have a ton of history with, with elk other than our grandfather did. He used to have a, a cabin out in Pennsylvania. And I remember right. as a kid, we didn't go out there a lot, but I do remember taking a trip or two and seeing elk out there. And that was, uh, as I guess, as I can recall, that was my sort of first experience with elk, you know, and just, right. just seeing the, the sheer size of the, of the animals and, and even, even now, right. Like, cause I've not, I've not been out West. Jeff's got, done some trips out West to just like vacation trips, right. Jeff, they weren't hunting trips, but yeah, no, no, I've been to, to Colorado and I've been to, to Tennessee, um, North Carolina areas, seen the elk there as well. And I, I guess I just say that cause my only other experience with them is, you know, when you go into Cabela's or something and you see the taxidermy right? and, and there, even there, you know, just seeing the taxidermy, it's like, man, this is just, just an awesome animal, you know? And so I guess with that, so let's talk a little bit more about the organization or the, the Ohio elk community. So obviously the goal is to bring elk back to Ohio. What are what are some of the avenues that you guys are pursuing to do that at the moment? Uh, right now, I mean, everybody's got to understand it. We, we do have 5,000 members, but this is a very slow process. Um, we really can't jump the gun into it and uh, go to full force because we want to make sure we do it the right way. Um, so right now, one our goal was to hit around 5,000 members. Um, before we really started pressing hard on this person, that person, or the other. And so that way we could build a number and say, hey, this is how many people want elk. And we got really hit hard um, with our membership in just a few months. And we, we really weren't ready for it, to be honest. We didn't have any sort of plan. Um, so we, we linked up and um, got a hold of a few people that kind of gave us a little bit of guidance on how to go about doing an elk reintroduction and presenting it to the state. Um, and um, we talked to some some of the members of RMEF. Um, they've kind of told us that they can't step in much until the state says, hey, we want elk, you know, and but they're they're ready to put do whatever the state asks them to do. You know, they've got the funding to help fund it where needed. They've got um, connections to biologists that have dealt with the reintroduction of species before. They're ready, um, but they just need the state to do it, to say they go ahead. Yeah, because, um, sorry to interrupt, but, but just oh, RMEF has played a big role in bringing elk back to a lot of the eastern states, right? It, oh, yes, yes. They've had a, they have had something to do, um, some role that they've played in every elk reintroduction in the eastern U.S. Okay. Um, just as we speak in the last month, and I, or yesterday, um, maybe even today still, there's elk coming from um, Kentucky to Wisconsin. They're traveling right through Ohio. Oh, wow. They, I mean, we should just call them up and say, hey, drop off. <laughs> <laughs> there you <All> right. go. <laughs> but, 
but uh but no i mean they and that they've had a huge part to do with that um and uh they've bought several parcels of land um helped with the funding for food plots and stuff like that for those elk to forage on Um, they've played a huge role in fact you can actually go online to rocky mountain elk foundation's website and at the top of the um at the top of the page you find there's a link to the conservation and uh, then you click initiatives it'll take you to a part where it says eastern elk initiatives and it'll say right in every state what they're doing to assist that state with their elk reintroduction and how it's going oh that's Um, cool and it's awesome it's awesome to see um they've even helped um with the financial parts of paying for a feasibility study in new york um which our state already did that and they paid for it so but right now we're just building those relationships with those with we call key stakeholders rmef was our first one that we reached out to because they were an easy one and we thought that they might be able to say hey we can help you with this but unfortunately we're kind of stuck doing it on our own a little bit um but they kind of gave us a little bit of pointers on what we're what we can what we're going to end up encountering and one of those is farmers um insurance companies they're going to be our big naysayers we've got to figure out a way that we can build a relationship with them and we're trying to build as positive relationships as we can um and then of course state legislator division of wildlife dnr um which we've started doing some of that already so let's i guess let's get into some of the hurdles you mentioned there and what the feasibility feasibility study has shown right so so there was a feasibility study done and what were the findings of that um they found that in three different locations which obviously they those elk would kind of spread out a little bit sure um, so they had to take that into consideration um that we could our state could host 400 head of elk pretty easily and that's being generous on the low side um there's states that have way more populate yeah, higher population way more human interaction um with way more elk but this is what they found and to us we're okay with that if we can start with 400 and they decide that hey we can have a few hundred more then if that time comes that time comes but we've got they ohio state university conducted the study and they found that we're we can hold 400 elk and that area that they can hold that elk is right around the southern southeastern to eastern side of the state okay so is that at 400, would that be, I mean, because we are Ohio huntsmen, would that be a huntable population then? or um, If they said that, hey, we need to keep this population set at 400, obviously animals reproduce. Um, right. So once that number starts getting past 400, they're going to say, okay, this is how many bulls we need to take out and eventually maybe a few cows here and there. Um, there may be 10 life tags there there may be 25 30 tags um but that that they're gonna have to be managed somehow and the state obviously 
in my opinion, and I think everybody else's too, would rather have be able to make some money off of it rather than just saying, Hey, you go kill five elk, you know, sure, yeah. they're going to, they'll do a draw and, you know, make the draw 25, 10 bucks a person and you can enter X amount of times and that'll bring in some revenue for the state that can go right back towards managing those elk. Yeah, it would definitely have to be, you know, at those kind of levels, right? Ohioans are, are used right. to, you just go buy a tag, right? It would definitely right. have to be some sort of right. a lottery system where there's definitely. only a handful of tags and there's going to be way more people that want to hunt them than tags available. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you even still, though, you look at Kentucky, Pennsylvania, people put in for tags and they'll put in for tags year after year after year. And eventually they'll get a tag. But they still do it every year. Right. I mean, you're going to have those people that are going to do it year after year anyways, even if they don't get a tag, even just because it's going to go support that support the elk management. Right know. So, and that's what most of these um, Eastern U.S. states do is take that money that they had from the um, from the drawing, and then they put it right back into the elk herd. Whether they need to uh, pay some farmers to plant some winter grasses in their hay fields or whatever, so they have food, then you know that could be one way they do that, or they could say, hey we want to buy this much land so that way we can expand our herd a little bit. That's another, I mean, people, even Colorado does it, you know, they, you have States all over the U S when they have draw hunts, there's way more money coming in than they're, than animals they're getting rid of. So, right. Could you run through a list of the, the Eastern States that have an elk population at the moment? Off the top of my head, I kind of I got to think of all of them. Hopefully, sure. I don't name. Hopefully, <laughs> I don't double up on them. Um, we've got North Carolina, West Virginia, which elk are moving into Virginia as well. Um, Pennsylvania, Kentucky, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arkansas. They consider Arkansas part of the Eastern U.S. Sure. too. So I is there, don't believe I've forgotten any. I could be wrong, though. So given that there's a, a handful of surrounding states that have elk, is there any possibility of an elk, like elk reestablishing themselves on their own? Or is there just too many sort of man-made barriers for that to happen? Um, that's that's one thing that Troy, our founder, and I have talked about some quite a bit. You know, Ohio, they, we seem to be a developing state. You know, we, every piece of land that we can find to develop, it seems like we're developing some sort, something on that land. Um, so it's kind of hard for them to come over on themselves. And there's, but there's still plenty of room for them. They have said that there's been a few that crossed Ohio River on some shallower parts on, less rainy days, you know, sure, and yeah. during, during, uh, the month of September, you know, the elk ruts time that you can hear them bugle, um, from Ohio across the river, but there's really, oh, really? Been I didn't know no that huge documentation of elk migrating to Ohio. There has been elk that have moved from 
West Virginia to Virginia or Tennessee to Virginia, or I don't remember what state it was, but they migrate. And if you look at um, those three states that are down there, Kentucky, Tennessee, and Virginia, maybe it's North Carolina, can't remember, (laughs) but their elk areas are all right there in the corner. Okay. They're migrating back and forth from each other. I guarantee you, they've got to be. Yeah. You know, say if they say elk is all over that area, and Kentucky's got eleven thousand, twelve thousand elk, so you know that they're moving, they're moving around. Sure. That's one question I had. How would the four hundred head that Ohio could potentially house compare to the other herds? You know, like Pennsylvania's herd. Kentucky or you know like how is that how big is that population compared to the other populations that have already been established that's actually um a pretty uh, a little bit smaller number than the rest of them Uh, West Virginia they're looking at eight to nine hundred elk Tennessee I can't remember their number um like I said Kentucky has um Kentucky has 12,000, 11, 12,000. Um, and I believe Pennsylvania has upwards to around a thousand as well. I could, could be a little off. Um, but 400 is a little bit on the lower side. Um, right now, Wisconsin has, um, I believe 75 is I think the number that I was told just a few days ago and that's just because they're still in a reintroduction process um but i mean even still uh, just for an example kentucky in an area where is in the elk uh, county in kentucky that is in the elk zone um which is knox county kentucky has thirty-one thousand two hundred seventy-seven people there's a population that large in a 388 square mile area in Vinton County, Ohio, which is an area that was deemed feasible for a reintroduction, according to Ohio State study, has 13,092 people and a 415 square mile area. There's plenty of room for elk. I mean that's a that's a pretty significantly low number compared to our bordering states that have way more elk for way more people with way less land. So I mean that's that's a huge to us that's a huge deal. That's a, one of our huge selling points especially to the insurance companies because if they were able to fight it down there in Kentucky, Pennsylvania, West Virginia, all these other states with way more human interaction compared to Ohio, I don't see that 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 we can't fight them too and we can't win that battle. And even in the Ohio State Feasibility Study, these places and areas where they've deemed it feasible to host elk, they had a criteria. It had to be this far away from um, uh, high interstates or highways, main roads, and okay. it couldn't hold this much traffic every day. I can't remember the exact amounts because it's it got a little bit confusing. And then they had to have less than 10% farming land. 
in those areas. You know, so farmers, there's less than 10, less than 10% of that land's farming. You come up into Richland County, um, some of these northern counties in Ohio, you've got 20, 30%, if not more, farming land right. in each of those counties. So the farmers, and a lot of those farmers, especially in Vinton County, a lot of those farmers are just cattle farmers. Okay. So we've talked, to, we've mentioned a couple times this feasibility study. Is there somewhere if people wanted to go, I know it's a long document, but is there, if, if somebody wanted to go read that for themselves or, or sort of kind of do their own research, where would they go to, to read that? Uh, the link is very long. Um, and Ohio State University and the Division of Wildlife do not have it on their website. Um, the website, the feasibility study was downloaded to um, some other website that hosts it. And if you just Google it, um, just an Ohio State University elk feasibility study um, or feasibility analysis, it'll be one of the first ones to pop up. You download okay. it into a PDF form, and it's really not a really, really long study. Okay. Um, it's not a huge document. Um, you can read through it in maybe about 45 minutes to okay. an hour, and I don't read very fast. My wife read through it in like 20 minutes, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but it, well, it even if you skim over it, it it outlines very well which areas are and which areas are not feasible. And it's very black and white Okay. Um, in that aspect. Well, why don't we do this? We'll, we'll get that link from you and we'll post it in the show notes. That way people, they can just go to the show notes and click the link and it'll take them right to it. Sounds great. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about the, the sort of, potential hurdles, right? We've talked about the insurance and the farmers. So I guess, right. what is it? Are they concerned about vehicle interactions with the elk or what is it that the insurance would be mainly concerned about with, with reestablishing elk? Yeah. Vehicle interaction with elk is the biggest one. I mean, you hit a deer going 60 miles an hour, it's totaling your car, you know, right. um, even unless you got some sort of tank. Um, <laughs> but, but, it's that's the biggest hurt that's one huge hurdle i mean when i was living in alaska dealing you know interacting with moose i mean somebody hit a moose going 30 miles an hour their car was totaled um but that like i said that that's one thing that ohio state university did take into consideration was how close these areas that are deemed feasible are are in comparison to the major highways interstates i mean you look at these areas that are deemed feasible there's not a whole lot of interstates and traffic going through these areas you know vinton county is right next to hocking county ohio you would think with as much as the hilly and the terrain in hocking county that you would that they would want elk there and with the tourism but that's the big thing that pushed you know stomped on the brakes for Ohio State University is that there's all this tourism, all this traffic. Um, you got that highway going. I can't remember the, the uh, which highway it is. It goes right through Lancaster and Logan. There's too much interaction, too much vehicle traffic. Um, but a lot of these other lands, they're just back roads. You know, and I know people fly through back roads, this, that, and the other, but 
you know, you go flying 60 miles an hour down a back road and hit a deer, it's not going to do a whole lot less damage than going to 60 miles an hour and smashing an elk or a moose. Right. I mean, and I can tell you that just from personal experience is that hitting a moose going 60 miles an hour doesn't look a whole lot different than a deer <laughs> because something's going to stop it eventually. It might hurt right. a little bit more, but that that's their biggest, that's their big issue is just where's the, where are these elk going to be and how much interaction is, are they going to be? And with the herd that is that small in such a large area, there's probably not going to be a whole lot of human interaction unless you're going and looking for them. Um, which obviously will bring in the tourism and people are going to want to come see them and, you know, they'll have that human interaction, but right. you're also looking for them. So I don't think you're going to hit one as easy. So if you're looking for a deer, you probably won't hit it. Right. Yeah. So. Okay. Jake, Jeff, do you guys have, I've been, uh, asking a lot of questions. Do you guys have questions you want to ask of Seth? I got one other, again, just kind of in comparison to the other populations, just in terms of potential revenue for the state, um, just because I haven't looked into it. What like what does it cost to apply uh, to hunt elk in, say, Pennsylvania or Kentucky? What kind of revenue numbers would Ohio be looking at from tags? I mean, what's the license cost in comparison to the like, I don't, what are like tag assuming, fees? Assuming you're a resident. Yeah, right. assume, yeah, assuming you're a resident, yeah, like comparatively. I mean, is it like hundreds of dollars per person or is it like a $5 entry fee? Um, okay, so the way it works is you put in, um, at least in Kentucky and a few other states as well, you put in, they say you have, you put in $10 for an entry. Um, some states have several entries where you can enter from three to 10 times. Um and then if you win that tag, you do pay, um, you do end up paying for the tag, which is usually $300, $500, depending on cow versus elk, non-resident, resident. Um, in Kentucky, you'd be looking at paying about right around 500 I would believe, for a bull elk tag. And, of course, your um, non-resident hunting license. So it is still expensive um to hunt elk compared to deer in the eastern u.s but it's a little bit it's quite a bit cheaper than it is uh, going out west you go out west to colorado you're paying a thousand bucks for an elk tag as a non-resident and that's not including your hunting license Um, oh okay and and you say in um the state revenues off of that Last year, I believe Kentucky had 500, I think it was Kentucky, $500,000 in revenue from just the elk. Wow. And West Virginia, in their feasibility study and their management plan, they had a cost, uh, estimated cost. Their estimated cost on the high side for a three-year reintroduction was $1.5 million. So once they're able to start hunting those elk in West Virginia, it has the potential to repay for itself within those three years too. 
Right. It may only take three years to pay for itself. Now, one point five million dollars doesn't even include grants from the state to buy land, this, that, or the other, to reintroduce elk. It doesn't include any donations from Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, Whitetails Unlimited, National Wild Turkey Federation. And you kind of think, okay, why would Whitetails Unlimited and National Wild Turkey Foundation Federation sponsor an elk reintroduction? It has nothing to do with turkey or whitetails. Well, it, it does. What's good for elk is also good for those those other species and that's another question that we get a lot too is hey what's the impact on our whitetail population going to be because us ohio hunters love our whitetail i mean we've (laughs) got some pretty darn good whitetail in ohio compared to a lot of our surrounding states if not the best in the eastern u.s in my opinion and that's a huge concern because i love hunting whitetail too but what's good for elk is going to be good for the whitetail. They're not going to, they eat differently. They don't forage. They're not going to go and wipe through all the forests and down there and eat every last persimmon and every last acorn and every last bit of grass. You get more acorns that and persimmons that rot on the ground every year than you do whitetails eating them. And that's just what I see on our property, on my property down there. There's still acorns left on the ground in the spring that are rotting them, and rotting away. Yep. Um, and you look at Kentucky, Pennsylvania, all of our other western states. I mean, Wisconsin's got some pretty big deer too. Unfortunately, they're battling that CWD thing too, which yeah. we'll hit on in a minute because I know that's a big question. But they coexist wonderfully with each other. There's pictures with deer and elk in the same field and they're not bothering each other they're not territorial over each other at all so i mean that's i don't see an issue with bringing them all bringing them together i don't think the elk will affect the deer and i don't think the deer will affect the elk okay but of course i guess i brought it up so i'm sure it's the next question cwd um (laughs) (laughs) let's get into it (laughs) uh you know our state's done a really good job with testing and staying away from the cwd Um, they used to say okay we're you can only bring in um, carcasses and non-deboned meat and anything else from these states or you can't bring it in from these states um but now they've said, okay, you're not bringing in anything but deboned packaged meat and um, a deer skull that's already with no flesh on it, and that's all you can bring in. And that's kept a lot of the CWD out of Ohio. We had two cases in 2019 or 2018, sorry, in Ohio CWD. Both those were in captive herds. Uh, we did have a scare up around the same area. Um, where a guy brought in a, a, um, a, a white tail from out west and it, he had it, he took it to the taxidermist. It was tested positive for CWD, but that was illegal. He brought that deer in illegal, illegally. So we've had some really good luck with CWD. Um, so every, nobody wants to bring in elk that has CWD, right? Um, right. well, these elk are coming from places that 
have about the same amount of CWD as we do in Ohio. Okay. Um, they're not, they don't bring them out from Colorado or anywhere that has a high density of CWD or a high risk of CWD. Um, and even, even if they did, they're, they pen up these elk, they capture the elk, they put them in a pen and they test them for 90 days before they even see a cattle truck. Um, they test pot, they test positive, they're called. Then they, they'll recapture another group and keep testing. Or they'll find a different area to pull. They'll pro- they would probably find a different area to pull the elk from. Okay. Thankfully, they haven't had that issue yet. Um, but they, they'll test those animals and make sure that they're completely healthy before they even ship them. Once they get to their destination, whether it's Ohio, Wisconsin, Kentucky, they'll sit there in a pen for another 90 days and be, continue to be tested by biologists. And once that biologist can say, hey, they're still good to go, then they can be released and they're continuing to be monitored. And if they get to Ohio or Kentucky or West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and even though they've already been transported again, one test positive, the whole herd's getting called. And that's state law. You have a penned, you have a, even a captive herd of deer or whatever else elk whatever the case is and it tests positive for cwd that entire herd gets called point blank period because Mm -hmm. they don't have a way they don't have a vaccine for it yet there's there's plenty of universities and plenty of people trying to find a, a vaccine but until then any elk that enters this any state has had 180 days of testing so six months of testing before it even gets released from a pen okay and that has that's where the most of the money comes from um from an elk reintroduction is paying those biologists i mean you have that 1.5 million that i said that west virginia um estimated for the cost Mm-hmm. That was the high number. The low number is right around seventy-five or seven hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's a major difference. That's doubled the price. Yeah. So every so you think, well, why is why is it doubled the price? Well, it's doubled the price because of they want to pay the best biologist that they can find, and if they can find a if they find a biologist that they really want, they want wiggle room. To be able to pay them that extra three quarters of a million dollars, and you know what? If that means elk getting into Ohio, coming into Ohio with 100% health guarantee, I'll take it because I'd rather pay that extra half a million or three quarters of a million dollars, and you know, have our state pay that than pay somebody else that may not know as much and have a less of a guarantee you know and that's that's huge the cwd is definitely a huge factor and that's going to be another huge hurdle but the fact that rmef and has helped with the funding of that in other states that that means that they have the potential to help us out with it too 
and they know better than I do that all these elk that have been released have been 100% healthy. And that's a huge, that's a huge plus side. So yeah, we I mean, can't say that can't say the concern's not there, but there's definitely mitigating uh, factors for it. It's not going to just be like, Oh, Hey, well, if it gets here, it gets here. If it doesn't, it doesn't, they're going to test for it. <laughs> yeah. Cause we, we definitely don't want it if, you know, oh, no. for the, for the most part, you know, been able to avoid it. And, and if we can continue to, we definitely don't want it. So definitely. that's good to hear that they're, they've got, you said 180 days sort of quarantine period before they would even consider releasing them into the wild here. Definitely. Perfect so, word to use. <laughs> so just, uh, I guess when you mentioned that and talked about putting them on a cattle trailer, just out of my curiosity, I guess, do they, do they do that this time of year when the antlers yeah, are off that, or, or yeah, they're that... going to, they'll do it when they drop their antlers. Okay. Yeah. I, I thought the same thing too. And <laughs> I, I, Troy and I, uh, attended the Rocky mountain elk foundation banquet in central Ohio just a few days ago on Saturday. And, um, we talked to the head of the conservation initiatives in the Eastern U S and I asked the same question as like, do you guys always wait until this time of year when they drop their antlers? He's like, yeah. He said, could you imagine putting a 300 and 400 inch bull <laughs> onto a trailer with the 50 other animals? Yeah. And I was like, no, I didn't, I couldn't, didn't think so either, but I just was curious. You yeah. Know? Yeah. That would be pretty interesting <laughs> for sure. So do you know, <clears throat> Cause I've not looked into where they're talking about, you know, where they identified in the feasibility study is, you know, where they could house these elk. Is it, is the AP land part of that area? Do you yes. know? The AP land is a big hot spot um, okay. for that, for a reintroduction. And it's really the perfect spot to do it. I mean, there, that's 60, what is it? 67,000 acres of land yeah, that, like that is, I mean, you put 400 elk on 67,000 acres of land. I mean, they could stay on that 67,000 acres of land. I mean, they wouldn't even really need to go a whole lot of other places, but sure. definitely a herd of 200. You could put half of, at least half of them there. Um, Wayne national forest and other places that would be really good for them. I mean, Ohio, the state of Ohio doesn't own all of that yet which is a whole nother topic. Um, but they want to buy it all. And yeah. if that's the case and that's where they decide that they wanted to put a bunch of them, army Rocky mountain elk foundation can come in and say, Hey, we'll help you buy that. As long as you're putting these elk here. Yeah. And <clears throat> now instead of the state asking, you know, some more, some fishing game, organizations and conservation organizations in the state to say hey we want your help funding it would you consider donating they could that they say they could say hey would you consider donating for elk rocky mountain elk foundation's paying for the ap land you know but the first step is just getting the state to say hey we want it um, yeah we, we uh actually just talked to the the guys from the ohio chapter of backcountry hunters and anglers we did an episode yeah. with them and that was one of the things that that we talked about was that, you know, they're kind of really pushing to, 
help support, um, you know, some of these new budget initiatives that the governor's proposing to raise funding to be able to purchase that AEP land and make sure that stays right. publicly accessible. So right. that's kind of why I was well, asking I mean, if that's part of it. What one of those ways was just, I, I mean, it, it's always a sore subject, but raising the prices of the, the hunting tags, you know, yep. but in talk to, um, one of the district supervisors of over district one of the DNR. And he told us that they, they will have, if this budget initiative gets approved, they're going to have $47 million to do whatever they need to do with. And that includes buying portions of the AEP land, if not all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I don't know that that would buy all of it, but I mean, that's $47 million that they can say, take one and a half, two and a half million dollars and say, here's, here's it is for elk. Sure. Cause they already made their 10 year they They already made their 10 year budget plan last year. This extra money, this is extra money. You know, and they're they're trying to dig themselves out of a little bit of a hole, but they're getting there. And once they get there, this forty-seven million dollars is going to be able to do a whole lot for our state, um, especially on a conservation level. So, it hope, hopefully it'll get passed because yeah. it'll be awesome. Yeah. So we've covered a lot of good stuff. So so basically, where are we? I, I think you said you know you're trying to increase your membership, increase awareness. What can people do if they've listened to this and they're, you know, they're fired up, they want to make this happen or do what they can to, to help. How do they get involved with you guys? What, what, what should they be doing? All right. Well, first off, if you have Facebook, um, go to our Facebook page, just go into the search bar and type in Ohio elk hunting community. Um, you, you'll have to request to join. Um, answer two questions is saying that you agree to abide by the rules, whatever, read we'll the put rules, a link. please we'll read a, the rules. <laughs> yeah. We'll put um, a link to that in the show notes as well, just so that people then, can go right there. And it's just simple rules, just no profanity, play nice with each other kind of stuff. Sure. Yep. Once you get on, once you're at the page, go to the, t- go to the announcement six, uh, section. There's a, um, a pinned post for, um, a petition, type your name into the petition, sign the petition. That's going to be able to take us. That's going to be something that we can take to a state representative, send to the governor, send to the director of the division of wildlife and say, Hey, we have these people and these are their names and we want elk on another side note. We're building those relationships. We're building relationships with landowners. We're building relationships with county governments. So going to city council meetings, trying to see if, hey, we'll support elk. If the state says that they want it, then we'll support it. Then if they can write up a letter for us, then awesome. And um, that way we can take that with us too. say, hey, this area in Ohio, say Vinton County, their government say that they want elk, and if they'd be willing to accept them. Fish and game conservation organizations um, all around the state, 
all around the state, not just in areas that are feasible for reintroduction. If you are a member of a county fishing game club, um, coon hunters club, whatever the case is, go to your board and say, hey, will you say we fully endorse, or not endorse, but fully support Ohio elk hunting communities um, initiative to reintroduce elk in Ohio? Can you write a letter saying that you do? Because that shows that, hey, these people all over the state of Ohio want elk. That's the big, that's the state's biggest reason that they didn't, haven't started it, is that they, they didn't see a demand. Okay. I didn't hear about a feasibility study, and I'm sure a whole lot of other people didn't too. Now that we know about it, and now that we're demanding it, well, you can put them in a little bit of a corner to say yes or no. They might be yeah. told no a couple times, but eventually they'll say yes. Yeah, so, that's something that, that makes me really excited about this. Is This is something that's always kind of intrigued me, and I've, I've personally reached out to you know, people with the ODNR, and I went to college uh, near the reclamation lands and did a lot of my research for college on the reclamation lands. And this topic's always interested me, so I've reached out personally to a lot of these organizations, and they've always told me there's no interest. You know, we, we did a feasibility study. We, you know, found these feasible areas, and kind of then those communities none of them ever reached out to us to say, hey, we're interested. You're saying that we can have elk and we're interested. So uh, this is something that's really exciting to me because it's kind of officially showing like, hey, there is an interest and, you know, people are showing an interest. So, Right. We just need to show the biggest interest we can. I mean, Dave Kohler, our old uh, Division of Wildlife Director, even reported to Outdoor News, Outdoor News Magazine, that the only reason they hadn't moved forward with a feasibility study and moved past in, a, in, in the direction for elk was because there was a lack of interest in the hunting community. There is, we need to show the Division of Wildlife, the state governments on a state level, we want elk, and we want it as soon as we can get it, and we want to help. We've got people ready to throw us money. Right now, we don't have anything that we can really take your money for. Once we get to a point where the state says, yeah, we'll do, we'll, we want elk too, and starts putting out a cost estimation, they'll take any donations that they can get. So then we can start collecting money for that and so on and so forth. But we just, at this point in time, we have to build those relationships and say, hey, we want elk and get our voices heard. And that's our biggest That's our biggest deal right now. That's, uh, that's good to know that, like, until the state says, yep, we, we want to start pursuing this, if people want to contribute financially, there really is nothing for them to contribute to at the moment, right? Right. It, it, right. Okay. I mean, um, I've got a quote here that really stuck out to me. Um, uh Larry Potterfield from Midway USA said this, each of us has a responsibility to either give time or give our money. Let's change the future. Right now, we don't have, we don't need money. We need people to take a little bit of their time, write a letter, 
take their time, approach their organization, community organizations and say, hey, we want elk. Do you? Can you write a letter? And the chain will go on and on and on. And eventually our voices will be heard on a larger and larger scale. In a matter of four months, we have 5,000 people, almost 5,000 people on Facebook. And that's just on Facebook saying that we want elk. Right. That's probably a thousand more, you know, 4,000 more that ever wrote a letter to the Division of Wildlife saying that they wanted elk, you know? Yep. Um, if you don't do Facebook, then we do have a website. Um, our website is oehc.site.live. I can send you guys the link to link that as well. Yep. Um, and we write a few articles um, every month saying, hey, this is where we're at and some different topics that are discussed, answering the questions. They've got key common questions, um, frequently asked questions. Um, you can put a face to our names that you'll hear us. We've got a, um, a spot that shows who all is on our admin team. And on that website, you can also find our email. If you're interested in helping in any way, or you're not really sure who to contact and how to help, send us an email. We'll get back to you. We'll reply to you. We'll find out what county you're in, see if there's someone that you can contact, and if you don't feel comfortable doing it by yourself, we'll come down and help you. Um, we're putting all of our time and efforts into uh, trying to make this happen and get the ball rolling because uh, we're super stoked. And we got admins all around the state. We've got admins up towards Cleveland. We've got admins um, down towards the southern Ohio, eastern and western. So if you don't have don't really feel comfortable, but you say, hey, I think this would be a good organization to hit and say, hey, you know, and give a presentation. One of us will come down and do it. Well, that's good. That's uh, I'm excited. I think uh, oh, it's, it's definitely exciting just to see how fast, how far we've come in just four months. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, it's a very slow process. You even if they state came out tomorrow and said, hey, we want elk. I mean it'll it'll take a minute to get them here so <laughs> patience sure. is a virtue you know sure. but it's it's just the fact that we've got all these guys saying we want elk is just it, it fires us up and especially me i love it i can't yeah. wait i yeah. can't wait till that first hoof hits the ground <laughs> yeah well i think that's a good place to wrap it up do you have any sort of Thing you want to kind of close on or, or have we hit everything that, we, that you wanted to cover um pretty much that's it if you got if anybody has any questions like i said get us to a, get on our facebook page you can make a post about it and we'll answer your question if you're not on facebook send us an email we'll make an article and, and put it on our website or we'll just answer your question directly so awesome um yeah well, I appreciate you taking time to to talk with us today, Seth. I like I said, we're excited about this, and we'll put links to everything that we taught your guys's website, the petition, the um, we talked about the feasibility study, your your Facebook community. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes so people can find it quick and easy and get involved and uh, keep us posted. 
Sounds good. Thanks for having us. And there you have it. I want to thank Seth for coming on and talking to us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you want to support the Ohio elk hunting community, like I said, there'll be links to everything in the show notes, to their social page, their petition, the, uh, the feasibility study. That would be a good way to kind of get in touch with them and, and get involved with this if you so choose. If you're enjoying the show and, and you want to support us, a couple things you can do. Share the episodes. That helps really helps get the word out, and we really appreciate that. So share them on your social profiles. Tag us. You know, that's that's all good stuff. We're, we're trying to grow the, uh, the reach of the podcast, so that really helps. The other thing you can do is you can buy our Eat Local shirts. So it's a picture of the state. It's got a nice buck on there, and it says Eat Local. So proceeds from that help fund all of this and buy equipment and things. So that's another way you can support the show. And uh, follow us on social. We're Ohio Huntsman on Facebook, Ohio Huntsman Podcast on Instagram. And we also send out a weekly newsletter. So if you want, you can sign up for the newsletter. And there'll be links to all of that in the show notes. Make it super easy for you guys. And with that, thanks for listening.